Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben, and this is Tony LaGreca, and this is The Courage to Hope. And tonight's guest is John Saman, and John, I believe, is the president of the Boston Rescue Mission. Welcome, John. Thank you. Hi, Tony, and good to be with you. And did I, uh, is that correct? You are the president of the, of the mission? Yes, I'm the president of the mission, and the mission is 114 years old. I'm not as old as, uh, as the mission, but I've been there for 32 years. Well, and I can see it's it was formed in 1899. Yes. So um, tell us about the mission and, and what is the mission and how does it go about, you know, what you do? Well, you know, we, we start with people coming to our doorstep that are homeless and hungry and dealing with a lot of different issues. And the first thing we do is provide them uh, a nutritious meal, uh, you know, invite them to stay with us uh, uh, overnight, have a safe place, have a clean shower, have a cool place to stay or a warm place to stay, depending on winter or summer. And we, we start to work with them, provide case management, work with them, try to, to break the cycle of homelessness. And as you know, that the situation uh, with people that are homeless, they struggle with a lot of different issues. Uh, there's some mental health issues, there is some addiction issues, there is some personal issues. Uh, there is uh, job uh, issues. There's a lot of different issues they're dealing with. And we try medical issues. We try to work with all the struggles and try to bring them back again uh, to a wholesome place. The idea is transforming lives. And that's what we try to do. And where is the mission actually located? Downtown Crossing. We have a facility in Downtown Crossing. Uh, at, On Washington uh, Street. Summer, summer intersection with Kingston. So we're next to where Filene was to be, used to be and Jordan Marsh. We're just one block away from them. So we're next to Macy. Okay. All right. And so how is it that you got started into this? And you said you've been there over 30 years. Yeah. So what is, well, I, what, I what is your background? That, sure. Well, I, you know, I, I was born in, uh, in Alexandria, Egypt. Um, I, as a teenager, age of 13, 14 years old, I was going to a Christian school there um, and we wanted to do something as young people to help uh, people that are struggling in our uh, city. I started to go visit families and work with their kids uh, as, a, as a young boy, try to mentor them, help them. We did some fundraising, try to help the families. So I did volunteer all the way until I was 25 years old at St. Francis de Paul. And uh, when I came to the United States, I uh, pursued my education. I did my master in divinity and master in business administration. But while I was doing all of that, I was volunteering and uh, spending a lot of time working with people that were on the street. Uh, in, I, was, I was in Baltimore and in early 80s and DC was, was a major issue there uh, with homeless, I had major issue with homelessness. Lot, some of these people came to the city of Baltimore. I worked with them there. I tried to help them out. And when I moved to California, I got involved with the Union Rescue Mission, which was the largest agency there working for the homeless. And I worked with them for a few years before I moved to, to Boston to lead the Boston Rescue Mission. So you were in Los Angeles and then somebody offered you the position to be in charge of the Boston Rescue Mission? That's right. Uh, they were the, the organization was struggling here. They lost their executive director. Um, and they were looking for someone uh, to come and lead the mission here. And at the same time, my wife was moving to uh, get a, a chaplain position in a college here. And so they uh, heard about her coming in. They reached out to me. They told me, if your wife takes a job, would you come here and work for us and help us through the situation we're going through? I decided to take the job and move in here. So, and that's been 32 years ago. So tell me what the everyday thing is like at the rescue mission. I mean, 
what is what is your your personal job and how do you how do you do your duties? Well, is it during the day? Is it during yeah. the night? I've just a lot well, of we questions. Yeah, we open, yeah, we are open 24 hours a day. So we never close. Uh, I'm not there 24 hours there. <laughs> but when I first came in, I uh, slept and stayed in the mission for seven months, 24 hours, because we didn't have enough staff. We were struggling financially. So we, um, I, I, my, fa my family was still in Los Angeles. I stayed here until my family moved in with me. And we, uh, I was able to recruit some staff, raise some funds, and we started to uh, hire more people to work for us. The, the on a daily basis, uh, we do a lot of different things. I mean, as an organization, we have to prepare the meals, we have to uh, prepare the, uh, the shelter, do case management, work with people who are struggling with different issues. Uh, we we do a lot of referrals uh, to people for other services. So it's in, interaction with the guests happens all through the day. And uh, the provision of meals, we provide 140,000 meals, a cooked meal a year. And so the kitchen is always, uh, you know, hopping and doing services. Uh, we have to, we have a facility that can serve 179 people overnight. So that uh, we have to take care of this facility. We have a facility in Dorchester's that we used to provide services to veterans that were homeless. And we had 10 private rooms there for, for veterans that are struggling with homelessness, trying to bring them back to housing and working with the VA, try to support their services. Um, for me, my hands is everywhere. I, I work with uh, the case management. I work with the kitchen folks. I work to ensure the facility is well-maintained and fixed. Uh, I work with donors. I, so I, I, my hands are, is, I, I, I do a lot of different things all through the day. So when people tell me how your day looks like, I tell them all depends on how, what is waiting for me when I make it there. I just sometimes don't know. Um, I, I'm involved with so many facets of the organization all through the day. So in, in your guess, just a guesstimate, you think addiction is one of the, the biggest reasons why we have homelessness, or do you think it's mental illness, um, or both? Or, you know, yeah, I, I, I definitely addiction uh, drives uh, more people to homelessness. It's and it, there is a dual diagnosis. People are uh, dealing with 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 mental health and also using drug and drugs and alcohol try to just you know maintain their or or deal with their mental health issues instead of going on medication. So there is a mix of both. Um, but definitely the opioid uh, epidemic have caused a lot of problems um, to bring people to, to the streets. Um, I mean, drugs has been a major issue uh, regarding homelessness. I know that a lot of people talk about housing and housing is necessary and it's important. But I think the, the core reason people are find themselves on the street uh, this is because of struggles with substance abuse and mental health issues. So that substance abuse, they, they're just living for that. They don't have a job and they have to figure out a way to get the enough drugs to last them for day to day as they go along. Yeah, you'd is be that... surprised when you meet with people, Tony. Many of them had careers and they were doing well financially and they had families and, uh, you know, Dealing, de dealing with addictions, they have lost everything. Um, and re rebuilding themselves back again takes a lot of courage. As you are aware, uh, your program deals with courage and dealing with addiction requires enormous amount of courage. And also dealing with mental health issues requires a lot of courage. So when, what about the city of Boston? Are they, has, uh, has Mayor Wu got anything going on that is, is assisting you and helping you with the people with, especially with mental illness? Uh, the city has their own services they, that they, they provide, that the state has their own services. Uh, we, we are presently primarily uh, receiving uh, our funding privately. So we are not really receiving uh, public funding. We have had public funding contracts in the past. We presently uh, raise all our support privately. So when you say privately, do you go to different corporations and 
And mostly, and, uh, mostly individuals, uh, Tony. It's it's hard to get money from corporations. You, we we get we get we do try to get money from foundation and corporations, but the majority of the people who support us are individuals. Well, because um, I saw that on the website, it, you know, you're asking for people to donate. Yes. And so when you're doing that, what is the what's the average donation? Is it a lot of small donations, or do you get some big ones that cover you for? A certain period of time. Yeah, most most of our donations are small donations. They're thirty dollars, forty dollars, twenty five, fifty. Uh, we do receive five hundred dollar donations. Sometimes five thousand. We do have donors that have given us twenty and thirty thousand dollars, but uh, the majority of the donations are smaller donations. And because you have to, you're doing one hundred and seventy five meals a day. Um, you've got to have yeah. a lot of money to buy the food with, unless yeah. you get the food donated. Yes, we do try to get some some food donated. We provide more than 175 meals a day, but uh, we do we do uh, try to get food from restaurants, from the food bank, uh, from uh, different vendors that uh, that will donate some of their food to us, uh, grocery stores. So we go do a lot of pickups in the morning to bring the food in uh, the facility. Yeah, I've seen a lot of food that the, the the date on the product expired, but the food is absolutely good, you know. Yes. But I guess they're required by by law to take it off the shelf if it's yes. if it's expired. And I would assume that uh, I shouldn't assume you get that kind of food, or do they give you a fresh stuff that's we all we, we we get both, Tony. We get both, so we try to use the best we can. Uh, we we have right now a good relation with uh, Chick Fil A, and we've been getting uh, uh, you know a lot of Chick Fil A's, and people love it at the organization here. At the they love to eat Chick Fil A, so we are so happy at the shelter to be able to serve them uh, uh, Chick Fil A. We get food from uh, meat from uh, uh, very good uh, restaurants that they usually will trim the meat for for their filet mignon. And we will take uh, the pieces that they they have, and we make stick tips out of them. So we, we work with we we do the best we can to serve the best food we are able to. Okay, do you, um, I was down at Mass and Cass, and um, we were distributing some bedspreads actually, and uh, some things to keep them warm. And I noticed somebody was there with um like box lunches or box dinners um do you do that sort of thing or is that somebody else no we do that at the common we do that uh, we serve meals at the commons um, we have an open kitchen so people come to us for lunches and um but we go out on on the common we we provide some food okay um so now if somebody's involved with you and they definitely have an addiction issue but they're interested in getting help um, what, what, what is, what, how do you lead them? What do you do as far as getting them, um, in, into recovery some, somewhere, somehow, what is the process? Well, if the person has no place to stay and they consider themselves homeless, uh, we, we typically work with people who are homeless. We don't just, you know, work with anybody that is dealing with addiction. So we focus on people that find themselves homeless. Uh, so we, we, we narrow, uh, our clientele is narrowed to people that are struggling with homelessness. If somebody is homeless and needs a place to stay and they're not ready for rec recovery, they're not ready for support, we still provide services to them. And we, we do that. If they're ready to, uh, to be serious about their recovery, we have a program that we call Sober Living and we provide them accountability, support, uh, we we try to help them with uh, for them to go to meetings to go to the to the to to groups outside to work with the counselors regarding their addictions and try to uh, provide the, the the structure around them to hold them uh, in in a place that as a group they hold each other accountable toward the sub toward the sobriety as you know uh, nobody does it alone they need support around them and we try to provide that support, the safety net, uh, so they know when they're struggling, they have somebody, they have a sponsor, 
they have somebody to talk to. Uh, if, if, if they relapse, we send them to detoxes and we bring them back. So we work with them in this, uh, in this way to, to provide them the support for their addictions. So for you personally, after doing this for 30 plus years, um, how do you feel emotionally yourself? Do you feel that, <clears throat> I know you know you're doing good, but you feel like it's an endless, like it's like a marathon without a without a finish line. My my the struggle the struggle Tony for us is is that we see less and less attention and support and and funding available for people struggling with substance abuse. That is the hard part. You know, there's a the funding is is being diverted a lot toward other issue housing and um, shelter and all of that, but there is very very little support going to help people break the, the cycle of addiction. So it's very hard to watch that because we know that the people are struggling with, with major addictions and they need support for that. You gone to Mass and Cass, you saw all the needles on the floor, on the street. I I'm did. Sure. You saw people walking, uh, you know, unfortunately looking like they, you know, struggling even to walk or to stand. Um, it's hard to watch it. It's very difficult to watch it. And um, it's we need more support for people that are struggling with substance abuse. I know we can't force anybody. Uh, everybody needs to do it because they're ready to do it. But I think the important part in dealing with, with the issue is not only to, to provide the carrots. We, you, know, the, the, you need both. You need some kind of accountability and you need the carrots. You need, you need something to hold them uh, responsible for some behavior uh, where they can take responsibility to move forward with their lives. Because having, having people living in, 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 in severe addiction is like playing Russian roulette. You don't know what tomorrow will look like if you be alive or you will not be alive. And it's it's a very it's a very difficult life. And uh, yeah, we, I'm sure you've seen since fentanyl has become a big player in the game that a lot of people uh, die from it. Yes, it's it's you know you get too much or you get you know a bad mixture. It doesn't take yeah. much to to um, do you in. It, it's uh, it, it's it's hard Tony to watch it. You know, I I had people that have done so well for years and. Um, I, st I stayed in touch with them, and I, my, I remember the story of this. This guy went to Hyannis. He he was working as uh, in construction. He was a client of mine for many years ago, and he stayed in touch with me. He would call me and let me know how he's doing, and he was so happy that he's had a good job. Uh, he was getting well paid. Um, he called me on Christmas Day telling me his life is good he's doing very well he was he was dead by by before new year's eve um and they discovered him a few days later in his apartment and you know the, the sad part is when you stop using for a while and you go and you use and it's fentanyl your system cannot handle it you die on you know you can die on the spot it's uh it, it's 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 horrible and you know and it's I hear these stories all the time, and they're a very hard story to hear. Now, with all these homeless that you have that have drug addiction issues, do you provide fentanyl strips or safe needles or anything like that? No, we don't. We don't do provide. We don't provide the needles because the needles are available. The city provides these. Uh, we we uh, we we provide the support system for them. Uh, but we don't pass needles. Uh, we we don't do the, we don't pass needles to them. We don't have that if you, program. If you catch somebody uh, shooting up and that's homeless, that's in your facility, you what do you do to them? We try to help them, uh, Tony, and uh, that's what we try to do. We 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 sit down with them. We let the, we we see if we can provide them support. We can send them to a detox if they're ready to work on some of these issues. If they're not, we still will provide services to them. Uh, they will still spend the night. Uh, they we tell them we you cannot shoot inside the building uh, because there is other people try to uh, or, you know deal with this issue. We can, you know it's, it's a danger to you and to others. Uh, we tell them you cannot bring with you drugs into the facility. We don't do searches 
we don't open bags we don't you know check what they have with them because we it's important for us that they have the you know we, we provide them the dignity and the respect in the process but we don't allow drug addiction in our facility or drug use in our facility and the the homeless people that i see um a lot of them have shopping carts with all kinds of stuff in it which i assume is their their so their whole that all their worldly possessions you know yes um so what when they show up at your door what happens to the shopping cart do you put it away somewhere or yeah, they, they when they come, they come with us mostly with bags, and they, they keep the bags with them next to their bed when they sleep. And we have usually a locker there for them. Okay, and, and are these wide-open rooms, or are they private individual rooms? They're, they're, they're dormitories, so they they sleep in a dorm style. So four or five in a dorm or more? No, we have a dorm. The dorms can handle 23 people in a dorm. So we okay. have several dorms in the facility, yeah. And then you separate the men from the women? Yes, the men are separated from the women. Okay. Um, and what about, what about um, is there like a, a, an area where there's a big room where they can watch baseball games? Or yes, we have a TV room. We have, yes, we have the TV room. They can watch all the games they want. We, we do have all the, all the game channel, all, all, the, all the games available for them. Uh, and uh, we have Netflix, we have all of that, so they can watch movies and uh, uh, feel relaxed. We have in the in the recreation room, we do have a big refrigerator full of food and snacks. We have microwaves for them if they need to have a snack. So we provide all of that for them. Very good. Can you tell me, can you give me a couple of success stories? Somebody who's started off homeless with you and they're now living in a nice house, got a nice job or something? Or Yes, well, absolutely. But I, I will let you know that several of my staff used to be my clients. So, and they they all uh, have been with us for years. Um, they're helping other people. They are providing the services to them now. And they're, they're in their own homes. They're back again, many of them back again with their families. Um, these are the stories that, you know, uh, bring you blessings every day to watch people moving forward with their lives and doing something productive. I'll tell you a story of, uh, I was walking down the street and it's not unusual. And one of my clients was driving an Uber. It was his own Uber. And he, he had people in the back of his, you know, passengers. I think they were tourists. He opened the window. Um, and he looks at me and he tells me, John, look at me. I am. My, I have my own car. I'm driving Uber. I, I, I'm making a bundles of money. And he was so, and the people in the back laughing, I'm making millions. And I know he was making millions driving, driving an Uber. But he was so excited about uh, him owning his own car, having his own business, uh, driving, uh, driving people around the city. I, I, I see these stories everywhere. I, I, I. I go to stores uh, and I find the manager was a client of mine uh, in the stores. I, I, you, you go to different places, you find people. You typically, I know I, if, I, if I talk with them, we do it in private. So people don't know that they were clients of the mission. But in the city, in a lot of different places I go to, I see the success stories uh, of people moving forward with their lives. I mean, I've been there for 32 years. I've seen I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people turning their lives and moving forward. And that these are the beautiful stories that keeps you going. That's why I'm not discouraged because I know it, transformation works. It, if you work with people, you provide them the support they need. You provide them the accountability and the love and the care and uh, the, our volunteers that come and help 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 them moving move forward and provide them the care and support the staff all of these people pour themselves into the clients and our guests and you see a transformation happen in their lives and that's what's important to us well, i was going to say they to get a to get an apartment in the city it costs a lot of money um how do they how do they 
do they stay with you for a, a month or two and work and try to put money aside and something like that? Or how does that work? Most of them uh, stay with us for longer, much longer than that, sometimes over a year, a year and a half, um, because they go on the housing list and getting Section 8 housing. And that, that sometimes takes a long time. So some people stay with us for two years. They're on the housing list. They end up getting subsidized housing. Some, I, I met some people, several people that did not want to be on any, any list. They wanted to work and uh, pay their own rent. And uh, so you have people that will stay with you until they get their Section 8 and they have a stable housing. Um, they only will pay 30% of their income toward that. And you have people that will work and save money and pay security deposit and move to their own apartment and pay rent. So you have both. Um, and um, both works depending on what the individual wants. So what about husband, wife, and kids? We don't uh, don't have ability to do families. Um we will serve women and we serve men, but we cannot uh, serve a family in our facility because we don't have a, a family a family friendly facility. So it requires a whole different facility to host a family. And is there a place like that for that for that yes. situation in Boston? Yes. yes, there are plenty of places that will uh, serve families. Absolutely. So there is individual programs and there is family programs. Uh, I, we work with uh, with individuals. So, like, how do your, does your facility compare to the Pine Street Inn? Pine Street Inn is much larger than, than ours. So, we are on a smaller scale. Um, so, people that come to us typically prefer a smaller, uh, you know, less crowded facility. And uh, we don't have a security guard on the door. We don't have the police details on our door. We don't have uh, metal detectors. Uh, we work on on an honor system, uh, the, and it works for us. We rarely have any violence that take place in our facility. Uh, people know that this is uh, a house that works on a community uh, standard. That this is a a place where you whatever you put in is what you get. Uh, so it's important for you to participate and do the best you can. That's good. So you don't you're not having to deal with crime on a regular basis or anything like that. They, everybody's friendly with each other. Tries most, to be. most people are. And if there's a problem, we usually call the police and the police comes in and remove a person. It, it, it does happen, but it's, it's not a daily occurrence. Um, it's, it's a daily occurrence in a lot of other places, unfortunately. So, well, yeah, that's what I was told by a few people that were in homeless shelters that they, yes. They couldn't have any stuff without people stealing it from them or getting into a problem with somebody. Yes. And uh, especially if somebody's high or if they're drinking, that becomes a problem. Yes. You know? um, and I, I assume somebody's drinking, you don't keep them, but after a day, you tell them no, that they have to. No, they, they, they can stay with us. if they They can stay with us as long as they don't drink and, and use drugs inside the facility. So we provide services for people that come in intoxicated under the influence. We provide services for them, uh, but they have to respect other people that are sleeping around them. And they have to be respectful and they they have to adhere to the standard of the, of the house. And how often is the house full? We were... Um, we had to cut down capacity because of COVID, uh, because of the separation and the distance. Uh, we pre-COVID, we we will have been full all the time. So right now we are we are on a smaller on a smaller scale because of COVID. We had to cut down capacity because uh, the Department of Health is still holding the standard of of six feet apart uh, for shelters. So we we try to maintain the distance required by the city. Did you have any outbreaks of COVID while you were during the We, we did have, we did well with, fortunately we did well with COVID, Tony. Uh, we started, um, I ordered ma the mask immediately when I heard that COVID was on its way. 
from China because I couldn't get them here. And uh, we provided uh, masks immediately to everybody. Our infection rate was about 2%. Uh, as you know, it was above 30, 30 to 40 in some other places in the city, especially shelters. Uh, we did very well handling COVID. Um, and we had we, we didn't lose a single person for COVID, thank God. Um, so we we didn't. We uh, when the vaccine when we were able to get the vaccine, all the staff got vaccinated, and eighty percent of our guests got vaccinated, which is amazing considering uh, all the issue with vaccine and all the controversy around vaccine. We did very well um, getting people uh, vaccinated, and uh, so we kept on doing education and encouraging people to do it, and. Um, and it, it, we've, we overall uh, did well with COVID, although COVID was very difficult on all of us, as you know, because we had to be, be diligent every day, be very careful, be sure that we are maintaining a high standards of hygiene everywhere. Um, and um, it was costly too, because you had to, you know, provide a lot of, a lot of things to maintain. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the governor should have paid attention to you if you only had a 2% rate that got sick. That's amazing. And no one died. Um, that's a, You must be proud of that statistic. Yeah, we were. We, we feel blessed, honestly. We feel like uh, an angel was watch, watching over us and through the process. Because w w you can do whatever you can do. You still, infection can go wild in your facility. So we were very thankful for that. Well, that was good because, I mean, did the people go out during the day, or did they stay in the facility? They uh, they could they could stay if they wanted to, uh, but we didn't hold them back, so they could stay. We will provide them a place to stay, but uh, some of them wanted to go out, so they will, will go out. I mean, it's hard yeah. to stay in a shelter. It's harder to stay in the shelter for twenty four hours. Really, uh, you want to go out, so we. I was thankful that we were able to maintain staffing around that time. As you know, it's very difficult to bring staff to staff to work around COVID. So, and um, that was the big challenge for us. Does most of your staff live in Greater Boston now? They live everywhere. We have staff that drive all the way from New Hampshire. So, and we had oh. some staff that drive all the way from Maine. So we had them from all over the place. I had to stay in the shelter for, especially the first two, three months of COVID. I stayed there because I had to stay in the facility to be sure, spend the night there to be sure that I can keep up, keep my staff going. So I had to maintain, I have to, I had to lead in the process to do that. If I stayed there and I went home, I stayed home, I would have lost all of my staff. So I had to, I had to be there. Well, and you did that for like on and off for two years. I did uh, the, the first three months I stayed there all the time. And after that, um, I, I will come and go, come and go. But I, I, I went four days a week to work. And some nights I spent at the mission, some nights I stand at home. Um, so we, we had to do that. Several of my staff had to do it just to maintain uh, stability around staffing and uh, to be able to provide the services. Oh. you provide any religious services if they yes, want to do? We do. Something. We do. We are a Christian organization, and so we do provide uh, non-mandatory um, religious services. We have prayer meetings. We have group meetings if they want to participate in them. They're available to them. Yeah, my my belief: if you want to get rid of a something bad like an addiction problem, and while you're struggling to do that. You know, if you have it, if you can replace it with something positive, um, whether it be working out every day in the gym or getting involved in the Bible, um, I think that that um, that replaces that other need so you can get get something positive going to replace the negative. I, I think that's highly effective. And I know a lot of guys who who got sober because they found Christ and stuck to it, you know? Yes. You know, I'm not promoting that. I'm just saying what I know, you know? Yeah, yeah. the importance of a higher power 
if it's a group power, or if it's God, or it's uh, your belief system, all of that are very important to hold on something that is more than just yourself. You need something bigger than you dealing with addiction. You need, you need a solid rock somewhere. Now, somebody who lives in the suburbs like me, and I, I know a lot about this stuff because I'm involved in it every day, but the everyday person who's not involved with it, um, what kind of message would you like to send to those people? Well, you can always get involved and volunteer. Uh, today, I had a volunteer from Concord. Uh, she stayed with us most of the day volunteering. She's a mom. Uh, she came in. She took the day off from work, and she stayed with us and volunteered. We do have people from the suburbs that come in and so volunteer. Uh, you can send us a donation. You can go to our website at brm.org. It's for Boston Rescue Mission dot org, brm.org. Uh, you can uh, check us out on the web, and you can always uh, help support the organization. Uh, you can do the food drives. You can do clothes drive. You can do whatever you feel like you want to do. Just get in touch with us. We'll work with you if you want to get involved. So you have a clothes drive. So that is that you're, you're looking for clothes a lot? Sometimes in the winter, we look for coats. We look for hats, for gloves, especially the winter. Okay. It's good to know. What do you do? Have, to have people drop them off at the mission? Yes. Okay, because I, I often wonder, I see all these places where you can put clothes, you know, in, you know, in, in the suburbs, you know, and they're looking, I don't know, I never know where the clothes are going, you know, and I I always wonder if they're, if they're getting properly used, because, you know, well-to-do people get rid of clothes after they've worn it three or four times, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, and they they just discard them. And you, you'd like to know where where the clothes are going to end up, you know. Um, what about shoes or sneakers? Yeah, shoes and sneakers are always needed because socks. Uh, we we have abundant abundant of socks right now because we had a big uh, socks drive, so we have plenty of socks. But shoes um, are important because people's shoes get worn out; uh, they get wet in the winter, um, and we we usually provide them shoes. That's good to know. So anybody out there listening would like to um, supply, bestly, I think the best thing is to donate money. I think that would be the thing that would be the most helpful so they can, you can, they can buy the food and do the things that they need to do. So to send a donation to the mission and you even take credit cards, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh PayPal, credit card, we take everything. That's good. And everything is tax deductible because you are yes. a nonprofit. Yes. So I think that's one of the ways that the suburbia can help. You know, it's like, a, I know people drive by mass and cash and they don't even want to look at it or, or they're afraid, you know, that they just don't understand that these are human beings just like they are. And that's right. They want, they want the same thing that we want. And they want to be. They want a, a meal and they want to be warm and they want to have a, a safe place to sleep. And that's the basic thing that people are looking for in, in society. And if you're homeless, you know, it's uh, it's tough. And yeah, every day you got to wonder what you're going to do next, you know. So uh, there's no day where you're going to say, oh, it's, it's a holiday. I think I'll just hang out and watch Netflix all day, you know. Yeah, uh, you need money. You know, even you need money to pay for Netflix, right? That's right. Yeah. So, so and but, give me the give me the actual feeling though of, of um, what is what is a a, a person who's never been homeless, what what do they need to know, as far as emotionally, what do they need to know about the homeless person? You know, do you understand what I'm asking? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are people that are just like all of us. They are, they had some difficult time in their life that caused some kind of trauma or difficulties that that get triggered. There are a lot of different issues that spiraled in their lives, and they end up becoming. I mean, divorces, 
loss of jobs, um, loss of a child. I mean, I've seen I've seen it all. I mean, I've, people go through trauma, or they had difficult times, or they get hooked up to drugs or alcohol slowly, and they lose control, and uh, or struggling with with issue of mental health, and they found themselves losing their homes, losing the place to stay, losing their safety net. The people that becomes homeless and find themselves on the street have most of them lost what we call a safety net. So they don't have, they have no place to go to. They have burned a lot of their uh, contact and a lot of the support system. And th they found themselves alone, lonely, uh, isolated. And so the idea of rebuilding trust again and confidence in themselves and moving forward in their lives takes a lot of support. Um, so it, it takes a lot of courage for them to be able to rebuild their lives back again. In the meantime, if, if they're dealing with mental health or they're dealing with addictions or other things, uh, they have to juggle all of this and re rebuild their lives in the meantime. So it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot to deal with with somebody that is struggling with, with trauma and difficulties. Um, so that's why they need a lot of support around them. Be left on their own, left alone with no support. It's very hard for them to be able to break that cycle. That's right. We need to break the cycle. You know, and I, I was going to say there's a lot of negative, stig negative stigma. You know, and people say, oh, that's not me. That'll never happen to me, or that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I know with addiction, a lot of people got prescriptions when they were regular patients at a hospital or at a doctor's office. Yes. And those those uh, prescriptions led to addiction based on some bad um, owners of manufacturing drug companies. Yes. You know, the Sacklers and uh, Purdue Farmer and Johnson and Johnson and several others that and uh, there was this theory that you know if you got a prescription from a doctor you know it's got to be good for you well you could ask prince that you could ask albus that you could ask um, michael jackson that it didn't work out for them did it no it did not no, and all I, their drugs were prescribed to them yeah so, i agree i agree with you tony you know i i've met a lot of my clients that had an injury sport injury or car accident or work injury and it went from prescription drugs to full addictions. And um, that, I mean, they've been in and out of correction facilities because, you know, they needed the money to be able to support their drugs. And so they will break into stores, homes, try to do everything they can to be able to get the money to buy those pills. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a vicious cycle, very vicious cycle. And, um, I've seen very smart people, very intelligent people, very gifted people, their lives destroyed. And try to rebuild their lives again takes a lot of courage because, you know, these drugs rewire your brain. So try to rewire your brain back. It's not easy. Um, no, they do the drug job definitely, yeah. the drug definitely abuses the patient. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, I always see this thing about drug misuse. No, it's misuse of the drug. The drugs misusing the patient, you know. I agree with you. Yeah, you see it. You see it every day. You see yeah. results of these things, and and um, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen mostly guys at Mass and Cast. I mean, I'm sure there's. I know there's some women there, but not as many as there are men. Uh, hopefully, those women are in shelters somewhere. Um, and I was going to ask you, what is the at? What is the the um? The percentage of men and women in your shelter is it's uh it i can tell you the percentage in boston i think the chances are is third of the population are women and two-thirds are men it's around that number so okay yeah so sometimes we'll have more women than men sometimes we'll have more men than women depending on uh, on how the program is working so uh and if we find more need for women shelter we provide and, and uh, women beds we provide more women beds than men beds so depending on what you're dealing with the the, the situation changes 
it's, it's, it's very fluid. It's not always the same. There is sometimes more need to, su to support women and there's sometimes more need to support men depending on the cycle. That's interesting. Yeah. So in the, in the winter time, when we had a couple of days where it was down below zero, um, do you find you get a lot more people then? In the winter, to... we, we get more people in the winter because uh, people need to be indoor. Uh, people can do okay outdoor in the summer and in the spring uh, if they want to be outdoor. Uh, but they, the winter is very harsh in here. So they they need a place to stay so that you get you get more people coming in in the winter time. Have you ever had to turn people away because you're full? We try not to. So if we, we can't take anybody, we refer them, we call uh, other places for them to send them there. Well, that's good. So you work a referral service with the yes. other. And we work the with the other shelters, yeah. Yeah, nobody want to leave somebody on the street at winter time. No. Now, who actually owns the mission? It's a it's a nonprofit uh, corporation, so uh, nobody owns it. Only the the nonprofit corporation. So there's not an individual. So I mean, is there a board of directors? And yes, that's yes, a... yes. We have a board of directors. So okay. they don't. The board of directors don't own it. They just govern it. So. Right, and that's how you do it. But somebody has to be like, be you being the president, yes. you're in charge of filing the tax returns and yes, making sure all of that stuff gets done. We have, we have to do all of that. Yeah, we are audited annually. Uh, we have to file our uh, 990 with the with with the IRS. There's a lot of paperwork running a nonprofit organization, so it's a lot of you know we have to account for every penny we receive. Yeah, yeah, that's it's challenging. Yeah, you know, you just have to be a good record keeper. Yes, we have to. It's important if we wanna if we wanna maintain the organization, we have to do that. We've been around for 114 years because we're doing something right. Yeah, I was gonna say, is that the oldest mission in the city of Boston? Uh, beside us, and I think the Salvation Army. We're the oldest. Uh, I think the Salvation Army is uh, 10 years older than us. Well, as an organization, I don't know about their shelter, but as an organization, they're ten year older, ten years older than us. Okay, well, that's still good. You've been there well past the hundred years. Yeah. So I, that's that's amazing. And how long do you feel that you'll be doing this work? You know, you I, see, I I I um, I'm sixty six years old right now. You know, if, if you asked me three, four years ago, I, I would have thought I would be retiring right now. Uh, but I don't see this happening anytime soon. It's it's very difficult to recruit staff these days and very hard. There's a lot, uh, been a lot of transition of uh, leadership and after COVID, a lot of people, uh, leaders have left, especially in nonprofits. I know it happened in for-profit too, but a lot of executive directors have left and moved on because I think COVID took a toll on all of us um, because we had to maintain the services and uh, provide for the people that we work with. Um, I, I right now have no plans besides keep on doing what I'm doing. And if I can recruit somebody that eventually will replace me, I'll be happy to pass on the batons. But for right now, it's this is my job and it's my mission and it's my passion and I will continue doing what I'm doing as long as I can. Well, John, you've done terrific work and you've been, you know, you've done way beyond what anybody could ask for somebody to be doing this job for over 30 years. I'm very impressed with your ability to maintain and, you know, and if there is a heaven, you're going, you're going to go right through the door pretty quick. Thank so you. thank you. Yeah. I know God's looking down on you and said, this guy, you got to give him a front row seat. I, um, I agree with that. I know how hard it is. And I've been involved with just a few, a few situations and to get involved with over a hundred people in a night and, and every day and feeding them, feeding them is a big, big task. I, I, I know it is. And so just, and making sure they all have clothing and everything is, uh, it's just overwhelming to the average person and for you to 
take the time and be able to coordinate it all. That's the big thing. And manage the people that you do have working for you um, is, is just sensational. Thank and you, I, thank I really you. want to thank you for the, taking the time tonight. And again, let's just do one more thing about people who want to donate. Tell me, tell us again how they donate. You, you, can, you can go to our website. It's brm.org, bostonrescuemission.org. Um, and uh, you can donate online. We take credit cards. We take PayPal. Uh, you can send us checks. Um, you can come and visit us and give us cash if you want. <laughs> so you're, you're welcome to come in and we're happy to give you a tour, show you what we do. Just give us a call or send us an email. Okay, so that's and that's uh, the rescue mission, which is, again, where is it located again? It's a, we're in downtown Crossing, uh, 39 Kingston Street. Uh, we are only one block away from uh, uh, Macy in downtown Crossing. Uh, so we are in a good location, uh, very accessible by T and by buses. And it's a nice walk in downtown crossing. Come and visit us. You say the orange line and the red line both stop there, right? That's right. And the green line yeah. stops at uh, Park Street. So you, also, you are only about five minutes away walk from us. Right. So any one of the three can get you right to where you want to go. And, and South Station is next to us, too. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So, so please donate. Um, a lot of people have more than they need. So let's help out the people that don't have hardly anything. And John will be very appreciative and the organization will be very appreciative. And this is Tony LaGreca and this is The Courage to Hope. We've been listening to John Saman from the Rescue Mission. And we really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for all the good work you do. God bless you, my friend. Thank you.